Pastor Ed Taylor says, expect to be attacked as you're living for the Lord. When the devil comes knocking, resist him, steadfast in the faith. There will be attacks, and there will be the roaring lion. I don't know why, but I still am taken aback when resistance comes into my life. I'm still surprised a bit. I'm still wondering, why aren't you attacking someone else? Leave me alone. You ever feel like that? Leave me. And I don't talk to the devil because the Bible doesn't tell me to talk to the devil. In my mind, I say, leave me alone. I'm done. And yet the Lord says, if I resist him steadfast in the faith, he'll flee. He'll run away. This is amazing grace. What would you do for money? Would you step on a few toes, stab someone in the back at work, or do whatever it takes? Today on Abounding Grace, we learn a valuable lesson. Greed will destroy you. And that comes shining through in the story we'll look at today from 2 Kings 5. Gehazi, as we'll soon see, takes advantage of a situation and runs after Naaman, all for money. Let's see what goes down as a result. 2 Kings chapter 5, in this Bible study, we attempted to go through it in our last time together, and yet we paused as the Holy Spirit had a new direction for us. I wasn't able to even get through half of page one of our notes because God really wanted us to be reminded of the power of the cross and the fruit of the resurrection. And we, from the healing of a Gentile, who not only had to be healed of his leprosy, but also of his pride. It was his pride holding him back. He wasn't willing to dip into the Jordan River seven times. He was actually mad at that direction. He was angry. And yet he was just seven dips away, if you will. Seven times, that's all. Seven dips of his pride into the waters of the Jordan River. That's all that held him back from healing. And as we learned last week, or in our last study, that in John Corson's commentary, he brings out this, this beautiful picture of leprosy and this healing as it relates to the picture of the salvation story. Because we saw how leprosy is a type of sin, and we went in that in depth, but also Naaman being healed and the little servant girl is a beautiful picture of the salvation story. Remember, number one, leprosy is a picture of sin. And we went into depth looking at that. Naaman's life is, is, uh, Naaman's life is, is completely de reeling from the effects of this disease, even as sin completely destroys a person's life. Number two, the message of hope was given to a little girl. And Paul tells us that the Lord loves to use the weak things of the world to confound the strong. And the message of hope is found in a child's mouth. Thirdly, the message was more important than the messenger. Naaman thought Elisha was going to do something extraordinarily miraculous. Instead, he gave a simple instruction. Go dip in the water. 
In Jordan River, Jordan is meaning judgment was to be dipped seven times, which is the number of completion. And how are we to be cleansed of our sins? But by immersing ourselves fully in the judgment that Jesus bore for us on the cross. Well, as Naaman is healed, Elisha's servant is provoked in his flesh. Remember, God is always at work in the world today. He's at work in this room right now. He's at work, which is amazing. It's amazing to me that God is at work through technology. He's always at work. There isn't a time where God is not actively engaged with humanity on the planet. And because God is always at work, for us, it's simply to join him. It's just to join what he's doing, to discover what God is doing, discover what he wants to do, and to join him on his earthly mission, the mission of salvation, the mission of hope, the mission of rescuing. See, sometimes the, the, the serving Jesus is made so complicated. When God is at work, just respond. Fill out a little card. Pray for a kiddo that's studying the world. Pray for missionaries. Pray for their kids. Like, like talk to your neighbor about the things of God. Check in on them. Make a meal for someone that's sick. I mean, God is at work. He's building bridges. All we need to do is walk over them. Show up. He empowers us. Remember, the Bible says that it's work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God that works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He not only gives you the desires, but also the empowerment to follow through. And God is always at work. It's for us to, to join him. Now, as God is always at work and invites us to join him, remember any step you take toward the things of God will be met with opposition. If you're taking notes, write that down if you don't already know that. Every step you take, every progress you make is met with opposition. The devil is a real entity. He is actively trying to undo the work of God on the earth today. Let me read it to you in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Let me read it to you from the New Living. It says, be careful, Peter writes. Watch out for the attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for some victim to devour. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. And remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. And it's so important to remember that there's always a battle. There's always a battle. You might be here today and go, you know, Ed, I've been a believer for such and such a time and I really haven't felt much of a battle. I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned that you haven't met with resistance yet. I'm concerned with you that you haven't been offended by another believer. I'm concerned for you that you haven't been tempted in ways you've never been tempted. I'm concerned for you that you haven't been putting up much of a battle, perhaps, just perhaps, because you haven't been making any progress for the things of God. You haven't been making any forward movement in your obedient life in response to the work of God. Because the devil's always looking for a new victim. And I'm sure that you've heard it before that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's true. And we're just like, yes, Lord, I want to know what your plan is. I want to learn what it is today and what it is tomorrow. Well, equally true is the devil, he hates you. And his plan is very simple, to kill, steal, and destroy. That's it. 
There is no other motive on the devil. He's, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And so in times of struggle, in times of anxiety, in times of frustration, in times of worry, in times of uncertainty, in times of, of feeling unsettled and ill-prepared, your adversary, the devil, your enemy is walking about like a roaring lion. Your adversary, your enemy, reminds us of an attorney arguing, doing what he needs, what she needs to win the case. An adversary reminds us of an enemy who comes against us at every turn, on the prowl, on the lookout. You want to grow? You want to be mightily used of God? Think of it just being here on a midweek time of Bible study. How much opposition comes just to get out one more time to study the Bible, just to spend one evening. It's so much easier just to stay home. It's almost like when the enemy, when you fall down and stumble, it's almost like the devil's there just saying, stay down, just stay down, don't get up. Or, or you get home after a long day of work and you know it's a little bit of a drive to get here and you know if you're here then you're going to be home later and then you got to get up early and it's just like you can hear the end, just stay home, just stay home, just stay home. You can make it a night without Bible study. You can make it another night without being with the saints. You can make it another night. Oh, just watch it online. Just, just take it in and, and don't gather together. And, and of course, I'm not speaking of the times where that's occasional. I'm, I'm, taking, I'm talking about spiritual warfare. Stay down. Stay home. Stay away. And what's the answer? Well, in the, old, in the New King James, it says resist the devil. Resist the devil. Peter doesn't say talk to the devil he doesn't say yell at the devil. He doesn't say throw things at the devil. He doesn't say rebuke the devil. He doesn't say step all over the devil, step on his face. He doesn't say any of that. The key to victory is resist him. To resist him steadfast in the faith. And isn't the key to every step of progress is faith. Our faith. Belief. Believing in the promises of God. I was just listening today to Pastor Chuck teaching on the, the beauty of the solid promises of God's word. Pastor Chuck Smith, it, they just came out with an app. It's the word, if you go to your app store and search the word for today, you've got to get that app. They've put all the resources that we used to get on cassette tapes on my phone now, right there. And so I was listening. I took a, a little rest after the radio program in my office for about a half hour. I put Pastor Chuck on my chest, laid down on my little couch that is probably up to my knees, and just rested, and he was teaching in Kings where we've already looked at when Solomon came to the dedication of the temple, and he says, there has not failed one word of the promises of God. What a testimony that Solomon could stand before the people after seven years of building the temple, seven years of hard work, seven years of labor, seven years of waiting, seven years, and he can stand before the people and say with confidence, I mean, he said it out loud. He went on record. It's written in the scriptures. There has not failed one word of God's promises. And what's true for Solomon thousands of years ago is true for you and me. Whether you believe it or not, God's word has not failed you. God has not failed you. What God has started in you and me, he is faithful to complete it. What he has concerning us, the Bible says he will perfect it. He will take us all the way until we see him face to face. And so when the devil comes knocking, resist him. Steadfast in the faith. 
there will be attacks and there will be the roaring lion. I don't know why, but I still am taken aback when resistance comes into my life. I'm still surprised a bit. I'm still wondering, why aren't you attacking someone else? Leave me alone. You ever feel like that? Leave me. And I don't talk to the devil because the Bible doesn't tell me to talk to the devil. In my mind, I say, leave me alone. I'm done. And yet the Lord says, if I resist him steadfast in the faith, he'll flee. He'll run away. Even though there'll be attacks and there'll be the roaring lion, the Lord God is our protector. Daniel's testimony will be ours. The, the, the lions are roaring and fighting and accusing, but the lion of the tribe of du Judah, Jesus Christ, stands in our defense. And there are so many believers suffering so much around the world, around our city. Now, you have Elisha doing wonderful, great things, and his servant is right next to him. He just watched this guy get healed of leprosy by dipping seven times in the Jordan River. And instead of rejoicing, and instead of encouragement, and instead of, man, I can't believe the faithfulness of God, pick up with me now in verse, chapter 5, in verse 20. I mean, all of these great things are taking place. A glorious miracle of healing. It's wonderful. It's awesome. In verse 20, but Gehazi. You know something not good's coming. Good, 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 but Gehazi. The servant of Elisha, the man of God said, look, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Oh, you do that, Gehazi. So he pursued Naaman. And Naaman saw him running after him. And he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me in the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Now I have a little note in my Bible that says that's about $400,000 he's asking for in modern, you know, maybe in the 80s when this was translated. Verse 23. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him, bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments, handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. Verse 24. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house, and then he let the men go, and they departed. What a contrast we see in the life of Gehazi. Great progress in Elisha, great resistance in Gehazi. And the enemy was fast at work to tempt this brother in the whole situation, taking advantage of the weakness of his flesh. Gehazi decides to take advantage of the situation and runs after Naaman for what? Money. He went after the money. He said, he pursued, if you look at the verbs, he said, he pursued, he lied. And not only did he lie, did you notice he used the Lord's name to support his lie? The decision wasn't impulsive. It seems impulsive as we read it. All this stuff is happening, but Gehazi, it wasn't impulsive. It was planned, it was calculated, it was deliberate. He asks for much, and Naaman gives him two talents and two changes of garments, and there's such deep 
seated sinfulness. Verse 25, and I went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where'd you go, Gehazi? That's his, that's his chance. That's his chance. You know how many chances you've been given to come clean? What'd you do today? Where have you been? Where's your thought life? Who do you believe in today? What's in your pocket? Or in something much funnier and simpler, you know, your kid's in the kitchen, getting into the cookies, starts eating all the Oreos. You know they're in there. You hear it. You come in. You go, hey, what's going on? And he looks up with all the Oreos all over his face. What have you been doing in here? <laughs> looks like you've been in the cookies. Uh-uh. And before you know it, caught red-handed. That's Gehazi right here. Don't think for a moment that you and I will not be caught red-handed because God who knows all and sees all, you're already caught. It's only a matter of time before it gets revealed to humans. But for, before God, this kind, of, this kind of deception, this kind of lying, this kind of sin in our lives is before the eyes of God. We're already caught. Just like that little boy was already caught when you heard the cookie jar lid go off. Already caught. Busted. Where have you been? Where have you been? Notice. And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. And he said to him, didn't my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. When he responds, he, when he's confronted, he responds with lie after lie. I can't tell you how often this happens. How often we speak to someone who is obviously caught the situation's been exposed. And they look you in the eye and they respond with another lie. And another lie. And another lie. It's just the fleshly response and reaction that we need to forsake in our lives and to walk in the Spirit. I don't, I don't know really what it is. It's almost like people actually believe they're going to get away with it. I think Gehazi believes that his master, like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't even know his master. The kind of spiritual perception God gave Elisha. He doesn't even, he's, he's, he's not even in, in this place of loyalty among the person that God gave him to serve alongside, to see the miraculous, to be enjoying all that God's doing. Through. He doesn't understand him. He misunderstands him. It's the same thing that happened when Jesus was teaching us when the unfaithful servant has to answer his master. Remember, he says, I know you're a hard man. He was wrong. He wasn't as hard as he thought. Because if he would have just invested the money in the bank, it would have, been a, it would have pleased his master than going to hide it. As Jesus teaches us on faithfulness. He wasn't teaching you how to be a good investor in stock and multiply. He was just teaching us to be faithful. If you are dishonest, you are unfaithful. You're unfaithful to God. You're unfaithful to those that trust you. You're unfaithful to those that love you. Dishonesty 
it breaks the bonds of relationship. The very fabric of relationship is trust. And dishonesty in all its forms erodes trust in relationships. And we see the depth of dishonesty in this man and it really makes you question what kind of relationship he really had with Elisha. And I just don't understand why people choose to dwell in lies more than just coming into the truth and walking in the light. The Bible says if we walk in the light, and this is in 1 John, we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship. That's where true fellowship exists. When you're honest and I'm honest and our life is in the light, that's where relationships are built and grow. They're not built in the shadows of deception. They're not built in the shadows of lies, of manipulations. Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace and part of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 2 Kings. You can hear this message from Chapter 5 again online at calvaryaurora.org. Pastor Ed, as this story develops, you're going to point out that greed will destroy a life. And we've seen that played out throughout human history, haven't we? I'll tell you, Larry, one of the worst sinful dispositions of, of a person is greed. I mean, a whole false doctrine has permeated the church today, known as the prosperity doctrine. It has absolutely zero basis in the scripture. It's completely twisted the character and nature of Jesus Christ and said in some way that, you know, if you just have enough faith, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you have all that you'll need. You can drive the fancy cars and Lamborghinis and fancy clothes and on and on and on and on. Why? How, how is it possible for, for that false doctrine to spread so rapidly and be so popular? It's, it has no—I I can't emphasize there's not even a stronger word in the English language for no uh, basis in the Scriptures— and so how does it spread so quickly? How, how come it's so popular? Because of the greed in man and the disobedient bent we have when it comes to things. And so over and over and over again, the Bible teaches us to be content with what we have, uh, to, to be satisfied, that when we're working, we're not just working for ourselves, but we're working to serve others, that we're to love God and love others. We're to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him. And Jesus was such a generous giver. I mean, greed is the exact opposite of generosity. Greed is this sinful disposition of wanting people to be generously uh, making, you know, giving to you generously. But the generosity of Jesus Christ is for you to sacrifice on behalf of others. And we know it's just something we need to check our spirits in, every one of us, including me. Uh, we, we, none of us, I think, are completely innocent of this temptation and this part of our flesh. And one of the ways to get rid of greed, I'll tell you, is to be generous as you give, as you minister to the homeless, as you, and I know even that, you know, it's like, well, what are they going to do with it? Just trust the Lord. Be generous. Have a broken heart for people. Uh, give of yourself. Be a tither. You know, give faithfully to your church. Give of offerings and give of your time. Give of your talents. I mean, think of some of you, you, you have, you're so gifted, you're so intelligent, you, you have so much education, you're good with cars, you're good with computers. God gave you that. He enabled you to go to school and get degrees. You know, you're a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, whatever you might be. 
use those things, not just to provide for the needs of your family, yes, but use them to bless people. Use them to, on the mission field, fix people's cars for free. You know, well, what if I get taken advantage of? Hey, look, just submit to the Lord. And he may have you to say no. You can't say yes all the time. He may have you say to no, but let's just start with one. And let's be generous with all that God has entrusted to us. And we'll knock the snot out of greed, man. So thanks, Larry. That's a great, great question. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for your generous gifts to support Abounding Grace. Your donation will serve to help us bring these daily studies to your station and many others like it every day. We're consistently receiving wonderful reports from listeners of how God is using the program in their life. And when you support this ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you Married and How to Stay That Way by Steve Carr. It will give you practical ways to resolve conflicts and stop them from reoccurring and help you understand the first steps to build a solid foundation, as well as give you a plan for building the relationship you're seeking. Get a copy today by calling 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org on the web. That's 877-30-GRACE. Glad you've taken time out for our study. We'll bring you more from Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Kings next time on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 